Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Um, not that you've made it any more nerve-wracking for me this morning, but it's great. I am glad for the opportunity, and it is a privilege um, to bring God's Word to you this morning. Um, if you have been following along in our series at Gospel Hope, you know that it is time to turn to 1 Kings, and we will be in chapter 18 this morning. Um, and uh, so if you have your Bible on your phone, your Bible and paper. If you don't have either of those, you can look in the pew. I'd love for you to take a chance, uh, give you a chance here to go ahead and look um, that up. On April 1st, 1942, Desmond Doss joined the United States Army. And little did he know that three and a half years later, he'd be standing on the White House lawn receiving the Medal of Honor. Now, what's unique about his story is that he was the first soldier to ever receive the Medal of Honor without ever firing a gun. He was also the very first soldier uh, to ever be allowed to go to battle uh, without a gun. Um, and this is not stuff of fiction, um, because in 1945, Desmond, along with 800 other soldiers, um, were uh, commissioned to do a sneak attack. Um, but unfortunately, the Japan soldiers laid down an ambush, and five of, 500 of them were killed instantly. But Doss survived, and he ended up running back and forth alone amidst this deadly fire for the next five hours, saving 75 men, bringing them to the cliff's edge and lowering them down 45 feet um, to medical care. Now, what's interesting, too, about his conviction is that he stood against the grain even when everyone, and I mean everyone, in his platoon and in the army thought he was nuts um, to go into world war without even a weapon on him. But he stood still. I think today we have that same comparison in the man of Elijah, a man that stood alone when everyone else thought he was a little bit crazy, um, thought he was a little bit risking too much. Um, but Elijah stood um, amidst all of that. So I want to uh, catch you up or bring maybe to remembrance who Elijah was. He is the Lord's man. Um, he had been uh, commissioned to bring um, the word of the Lord to Israel to represent the Lord to the nation of Israel, but he wasn't perfect. He had some growing up to do, and as we've been walking through his story, we know that he spent some time at the quiet of the brook, learning that uh, deep faith is often born out of a moment of deep dependency. We also found um, him being taught that uh, with a widow. And then thirdly, last week we saw Elijah um, interacting with Obed, and Obed loved the Lord, but he still was very nervous about stepping out without fear against King Ahab. And all of these truths we are learning as we explore what it looks like to live a life uh, against the grain. For those that maybe have missed a few weeks or today's your first time, I, I encourage you to uh, go back and to listen. You can find those uh, sermons on the website um, at Gospel Hope Church. So today I'm going to read for you, I'm going to start in chapter 18, verse 17. I'm going to read this story. It is a narrative, and so it's lengthy, but I want you to hear the whole story. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. Because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed after the Baals, now, therefore, gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 45 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all of the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet has 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but I won't put fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but don't put fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them and prepared it. And it was called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Oh, cry louder, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey, perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves after the custom of swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And at midday had passed, they raved on until the time of oblation and there was still no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built the altar in the name of the Lord. And he had made a trench around the altar as, uh, as great as what would contain two sheaths of seed. And he put the altar and he put the wood in order and cut the pole into pieces and laid them on the wood. And he said, fill four jars and pour it over the burnt offering in the wood. And he said, do it again a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at that time of the offering of Galatian, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. This morning brings us to the account for the purpose of making a decision. It calls, us, calls for a decision to be made. And we've been working through all the reasons why we should stand against the grain. But today is the day of the decision. And I believe this text gives us actually three decisions that we can make. The first decision is to choose a side. The time had come for Elijah to confront the people of Israel. Notice it wasn't his own idea. Remember, God extended his patience to his people, but they turned to idols. It didn't lead them to repentance. Then he sent a drought and famine that lasted for three years, but his judgment didn't bring them to repentance either. 
So think of this, among all of God's own people, the prophets who spoke the word of God were being hunted and killed and the purveyors of Baalism were being sponsored by the royal family. And so one day God sends Elijah to Ahab and when he had got there, he tells Ahab to gather the people. And look at verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. Israel was faltering between these two opinions. They were trying to mix the worship of Baal and the worship of God. And the problem is, is that under the onslaught of Baalism, their walk with the Lord had become hopelessly compromised. That's the significance of the word limped. How long will you go limping between these two opinions? Why have you handicapped yourself spiritually? This is an interesting analogy that Elijah uses, and we see the same dilemma found in Revelations chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, when the church of Laodicea is called out for being lukewarm. You see, Laodicea was a wealthy city, thriving banks, a textile industry, a medical school. And the problem was that the church had become so spiritually self-deluded because the church was wealthy, it just assumed it didn't need any help. It didn't need anything, when actually they were handicapping themselves and just limping through, not truly being effective or dependent on the Lord because they trusted more in their means than their master. All the students of America know uh, the name Monroe well, you know, James Monroe, the fifth president of the United States. He's probably known most for the Monroe Doctrine, the, the ideology, um, the idea that uh, America shouldn't uh, enter any European war to kind of keep us away. But probably the name Monroe is probably more familiar with Marilyn Monroe. Um, she was unfortunately uh, kind of known for how sad her life was. But one time she was asked, uh, Marilyn, do you believe in God? And she said, well, yes, I believe a little bit of everything. A little bit. Well, Phil Rakins describes this as probably the new Monroe Doctrine, believing a little bit of everything. This Monroe Doctrine become probably the basic principle of American culture these days. People don't want to be intolerant, so they believe a little bit of everything, right? A majority of Americans believe in God, sure. The Bible, Jesus, the power of positive thinking, uh, basic goodness of humanity, luck, alien life forms, uh, checking their horoscopes every day, they believe in karma. The only way to believe all of these things at the same time is to adhere to this Monroe Doctrine, to believe a little bit of everything. But the whole thrust of Elijah's ministry is to refute the Monroe Doctrine. You cannot worship God and at the same time craft your own truth and your own morality and your own life purpose. As long as you try to do both, you'll be limping along back and forth between opinions. And how relevant is this today in our Western culture? And so there's a decision to make this morning. Christian faith can never remain a conviction of the mind only. It must be a change of the heart. Christian faith, uh, the gospel never allows us to limp along as Jesus, just as your savior and not as your Lord. If the Lord is God, follow him. Like Moses in Exodus 32 or Joshua in Joshua 24, the people of Israel were called to set themselves apart, to be exclusive. Do you remember the count in Exodus 32? You know, Moses had gone up on the mountain. He had gone there to get the word of the Lord. And the people, what did they do? They built a golden calf for themselves. 
Now, they didn't turn their back completely on the Lord. They didn't walk away completely. They just wanted to mix in some of the old culture that they had before, right? So they mixed in the golden calf. It was just a little bit, no problem, but this is the problem. So I have a question today, um, and, you know, Ryan usually picks on someone, so I figured I'd pick on Ryan this morning. Um, so last night, we had brownies at the men's group, and they were good, um, but I, I have a weakness for brownies. Um, and so I wanted to, I was talking to Ryan, I said, you haven't really had a brownie until you've had my mom's brownies. And so I wanted to make some, and I was gonna give this to, to Pastor Ryan, so I'm gonna give you my brownies. Um, th- this is my mom's recipe. Um, they're, they're super good. I mean, my mouth is watering. We used to wake up every, uh, after Sunday nap, right? It's like a tradition. My mom would make brownies Sunday afternoon, and you just wake up to the smell of brownies, and it's amazing. Um, but, I feel a little bit obligated because I need to tell you, when I was uh, making this, um, you know, like the teaspoon, tablespoon, it's really confusing. Um, I think it was supposed to be a teaspoon of salt, but I might've used a tablespoon of salt. But from the outside, you can't, you can't tell, it should be fine. Um, I also couldn't find a mixing bowl. So I used, uh, I used my son's sand bowl, you know, from the sand pit. Um, it, was, it was fairly clean, but there might be a little, little bit in there. Um, and, uh, oh, ooh, yeah, and uh, I was cleaning my shoes, and, uh, you know, my neighbor has a dog. I'm not sure what was on it, but I think it might have fallen in. But it's okay. You, you can't see it. From the outside, they look delicious. Um, you know, I, I think they'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I understand. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So... It's interesting you're not interested anymore. <laughs> um, when, uh, but, but this is kind of what the Bible teaches us, right? Um, see, the truth is we wanna live for God, but sometimes we let a little bit of a good thing in and we add a little too much of that good thing and it becomes, uh, takes control of our life. Or maybe um, we wanna follow after Jesus, but we keep putting ourselves in environments um, that are not clean and they start to add a little bit of their influence to our life. Or sometimes we're just careless and we literally let crap fall into our lives that we know is not godly, but we let it be there anyways. After all, if I didn't say anything to Pastor Ryan, he wouldn't have known. I mean, it was just a little bit, right? And the chocolate probably would have covered most of it. But this is the danger of a mixed Christian lifestyle that we are living. People, what people don't know won't hurt them. Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches. First Peter chapter one, verse 15 says, but as he who called you is holy, you must also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, be holy as I am holy. The word holy means to be set apart for a purpose. It means to be exclusive as I am exclusive. Stop adding things to your worship that shouldn't be there. Stop limping between two opinions. Choose a side. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, we'll continue with the story. And all of Israel gathered at Mount Carmel and there was 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Azura that eat at Jezebel's table. I mean, I want you to picture this. A thousand prophets dressed out, I mean, to the T. They had the full support of the royal family, so they were looking good, all right? Um, They were ready to perform their rites. A large crowd of people had gathered from far ends of the country for this big showdown. And on the other side, you have Elijah. 
He's looking a little rough. He just came out of the desert. But here's Elijah. His purpose there was not only to expose the false god of Baal, but also to bring the compromising people back to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but when I was a young man, I, I, I strove to make God number one in my life, right? I, I read books, I prioritized church, I served at every opportunity, as if it was okay to have other things that I worshiped, just so long as God was number one. But to have number one implies there's a number two, or a three, or maybe even a four. And God doesn't wanna just be first chair in your life, he wants to be the only chair in your life. Which brings us to the second decision, not just a savior, but a Lord. First Kings chapter 18, 37, 39, it says, answer me, O Lord, answer me that the people may know that you, O God, are God, and that you have turned their, back, their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench and all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, Israel was faced with this decision before when, when Joshua led the people into the land and was dividing up the portions between the tribes in Joshua 24, 14, 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served in the beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eye to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether it's the gods of your father that served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the gospel that many of us need to hear and understand this morning. See, we're comfortable with a God who loves and saves we're comfortable with the gospel that Jesus redeems us so that we can go to heaven instead of hell. But the gospel we find hard to swallow is the gospel that Jesus is king. And not just any king, but the king of kings. So when we accept him as savior for our sins, we, we need to also accept him as Lord and king of our life as well. See, we like the idea that Jesus saves us from eternal punishment, but we still wanna live our lives the way we want. And this is the delusion that the scripture is teaching us this morning and calling us away from. Choose this day who you will serve, the Lord, your culture, your family, yourself. And here's the reality this morning. See, we sing that God is our friend. We sing that God is our father and that he loves us so, which is all true. He is all of those things and he will continually embody those things and all of those attributes but the scripture says that when Jesus returns, he's not returning as a friend. He's not returning as a father, but he returns as a king. And we should do our best to be ready to receive a king. Let me take you to the end of the story. Revelations 19, 11 through 16. And this is the introduction to the king. And then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And on the name by which he is called is the word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod of iron. And he will tread with the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a God who left heaven above and took on humanity and humbled himself even to the death of the cross that he might save you from your sins. But don't get it twisted. This is the same Jesus that will return on the clouds as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is why Elijah challenges the people not only to choose a side, but to remember that God is Lord. If this is you this morning, don't put it off another week. Choose this day who you will serve. See, answer me this in this situation. Jesus saved you from the punishment of sin that you deserve, but you just continue to live your life however you want to. Kind of seems like Jesus is serving your ideas and your needs. But if Jesus saved you from your sins for something bigger and thus calls you not only to accept his free gift, but to surrender to his lordship over our lives, which he saved and now is sanctifying, the table turns and we are serving Jesus as Lord and savior of our life, not just for our own benefit. And this is the biblical perspective that we need to grasp, which brings us to our third decision. What do you need to remove from your life? In 1 Kings 18, 39, and when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, not, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. As radical as this seems, when it comes to removing sin from our lives, we must be thorough. We need to take our sanctification seriously. And when we are faced with sin that so easily entangles us, we need to remove it. Imagine if you went to surgery to get your life saved and after in recovery room, the doctor comes in and says, ah, oh, we messed around a little bit. You know, uh, we tried a little bit of this and we tried a little bit of that and uh, we took some action. We might've removed some of it, but I think we might've left some back in, um, but uh, it's okay, we'll, we'll get to it tomorrow. We would say that's unacceptable. That's a malpractice. And yet we, tre we, we treat our sins sometimes that way as well. Like it doesn't hurt anyone. No one can see it. I'll just deal with it tomorrow. But these are lies that are keeping us from what we need to do. Hebrews 12, one and two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, notice the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say lay aside the sin that so easily uh, entangles us, but the author also makes a point to include the word weight and sin. You know, there are some of us here that maybe it isn't a sin that we're limping back and forth between. Maybe it's a weight, just like the brownies, right? Sometimes we prioritize a good thing a little too much, you know, a little too much salt kind of ruins the whole brownie. And it's the same way. A lot of us are walking through life wondering why it seems that we don't grow 
or why we can't get victory in a certain area of life. Or it's probably because we're loaded down with excess weight. Because if we're not running the race, we're just limping back and forth. And the call here in Hebrews is to run the race that is set before us. You're not running if you're limping. Sometimes we look at our brothers and sisters and we think, oh, maybe they have some kind of special gift or maybe uh, you know, they have some super something in their relationship. They just seem so close to God. But the reality is, is this is just a lie. We need to lay aside the weight that so easily entangles us. Lay aside the sin that is your second and third place and run to the Lord with all endurance. See, the willingness to follow after false gods or to add weight doesn't come necessarily from ignorance, but an acceptance of the trade-off. You heard Rod use that last week, but it's so applicable here. We, just like the Israelites, are limping through life spiritually and we're okay with it. Church, this is not the way. Jesus did not die so I could limp through life. He died so we could enjoy freedom and relationship with him. So we have a decision to make today. You and I know what it is in our life. It's not necessarily a secret. We know what we've added to our faith that has diluted it. We know there are areas in our life that Jesus isn't king. We still want control of that area. As I finish up today, I wanna bring to your attention one other significant similarity that I noticed. See, as Elijah stood alone on Mount Carmel against 450 prophets and all the people, remember Jesus stood alone on the mountain of Golgotha, the place of the skull, with the entirety of the universe against him. And as Elijah called out to God to answer his plea, to show himself to the people that they may know who he is, Jesus cries out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And as God shows up with all intensity to proclaim that he is the only true God with an all-consuming fire, Jesus dies and rises again from the dead, just as the scriptures foretold, and is seen by 500 witnesses to defeat sin and death once and for all, not only to prove that he is the one and true God, but that we who believe in his name might be saved from the penalty and power of our own sin and have eternal relationship with him forever. Oh, church, hear the word of the Lord today and let it not be true that we limp between two opinions and we just limp through life, but we stand up against the grain and stand alone with God. There cannot be a number two or a number three. We must be exclusive because he's the only way. John 14, six, as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing we can add to our faith, nothing we can add to our religion, nothing that we can, we can add to our lifestyle so that we can kind of make it through culturally a little bit easier. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You don't have to add anything to him. Maybe you find yourself here today and you need to make a decision. I wanna ask the prayer team to step in the back. Or, or if you wanna come and find me, I would be thrilled, or, or Pastor Ryan to talk to you. You know, I'm always kind of convicted about the account in Revelation 3. We talked about Laodicea and the church there, 
that uh, was lukewarm. You know, they, they weren't really hot, they weren't really cold, they were kind of just mellow in the middle. But the end of that, that little portion, it says, those whom I love, the Lord speaking, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. You know, I always pictured that as Jesus standing outside of an unbeliever's heart, you know, like, let me in, which is true. But in this context, Jesus is standing outside the church saying, hey, let me in. Stop doing this on your own. Stop trying to mix in and make it work for you so that you can live with the grain instead of against the grain. Church, I think we have a decision to make this morning and I pray that you do not leave today without choosing a side, without remembering that Jesus is not just your savior, but Lord. And make a decision, whatever it is in your life that you're limping back and forth to, that you get rid of it and you get rid of it thoroughly. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this reminder of this Old Testament account of Elijah standing up when no one else was, choosing to display your power. You brought Israel back to yourself, proclaiming that you were God alone with your acts. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us this morning, that we wouldn't forget that not only did you come to save us from our sins, Lord, but you, you came to be Lord of our life. And we would do well to be ready and prepared for the kingship that you are gonna bring, not only to our hearts, but not only to this church, but to this world. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of this truth today, that we wouldn't just pass this opportunity to make a decision. We thank you for your pursuit of us and your love for us, that you haven't given up on us. In Jesus' name.